Boop, boop, boop. Boop. Boop, boop. Welcome to. Are they drunk in there? I'm Christina. And I'm Emily. And this is. Oh, wait. Still, ah! are they drunk in there? <laughs> <laughs> So if you um, are just joining us, this is a show about food and wine and home cooking, a little bit of drinking. Sometimes Emily and I start ahead of the podcast. (laughs) Oh, man. A lot of bit of drinking. It's always a good time. And we talk about some science sometimes. And basically, again, whatever Emily and I feel in our hearts to talk about. Yeah. So welcome to the conversation. Yes. Um, and so today's episode is Jams and Jellies. What what? Yep. Uh so today we're talking about uh jam, jelly, preserves, but there's so many things of things that you spread on bread or eat just out yeah. of the jar. The sweet the sweet ones, not butter. Butter's not included. Oh uh, yeah, apple butter. Oh, wow. I mean, we're not going to talk too much about that, so we could just not even go on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess butter's a spread, too, from a cow, but yeah, no. Okay, back to jams and jellies. Wait, first, what are you drinking today? Oh, no, we skipped that part. Um, Today, I'm actually drinking a Stony Creek Rosé. It's mm. from a winery in Wisconsin called... Um, Von Steel. It's one of my favorite wineries in Wisconsin. It's right on Lake Michigan, I believe. And um, basically, you can sit at the winery. They have like a tasting room and you can see the lake from there. Um, But this one is really good. It's actually an estate made rosé. So they make it with um, grapes that they grow on their estate. It kind of tastes like juice, though, I gotta say. Like, it's great. more like cranberry white grape juice, but it's wonderful. What about you? What are you drinking? Uh, well, I am also going the um, it's hot outside, so I'm drinking a lighter wine today route. Um, I am drinking a Fielding Hills Estate Chardonnay. Um, it's a 2019, and it is also delicious. Um, if you are ever in the Washington area and you have like a day or two uh, free, you definitely want to head out to their... Um, winery out in Lake Chelan area. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. It overlooks the lake. You like are in the midst of all of the grape vines and they have like this beautiful porch area. So, and the wine's good too. So, uh, definitely something to check out. Yeah. I cannot wait to visit you in Seattle, but I wish I was coming for longer just so that I could go out uh, to the wine region because you just um rave about it all the time and I'm like gotta go I feel like now you've just been like a Washington winery connoisseur every time we get on the pod yes now I'm all all about those local wines because I'm also on the west coast so now that's all we do on the west coast is talk about how great we are so Joe and I tried some local wines this past weekend (laughs) I think Joe Joe liked to call them um what do you call alcoholic juice i was like yeah but um a lot of times in winemaking it's important to control your temperature but at the winery we went to they just leave it outside so you can imagine the flavors were pretty interesting oof yeah (laughs) well we should do a fermenting episode because then you can talk more about that Mm. 
probably wine specific or we could do like wines and ciders or something anyway yeah yeah if you're listening in let us know um are they drunk in there at gmail.com if that's something you'd like to listen to um otherwise getting back to jams and jellies uh let's start with our usual question of the day what is what are jams and jellies so I had to break them down into separate pieces because for me, I always thought of uh, jam and preserves as the same thing. But a jelly is basically a fruit juice. So when you think of a jelly, you think of like Concord grape jelly, that clear gel that's like dark purple. That's a jelly. There's no fruit in it. It's made with fruit juice. And that's basically the only fruit component in there. A jam is made with mashed up fruit. So you're going to find some fruit particulate in there, fruit pieces, um, a combination of large and small fruits. Sometimes you can do like a puree where you kind of blend it in the blender. Um, But for the most part, there's actual physical fruit in a jam. And a preserve, I found out, is actually made with whole fruit. So you don't even have to like crush the fruit you kind of just let it simmer down um i think i make something somewhere in the middle of jam and preserve i like to throw all my fruit in there and then sometimes if it looks kind of weird at the end i'll blend it up with my immersion blender but i think i'm right in the middle there um they also have fruit spreads which i read are more like concentrated fruit so you don't add any additional sugar or anything to it it's just basically a fruit spread Um, and then of course butters which are typically a couple of different things cooked for an extended period of time so you're talking like probably around six hours that you're cooking down this um butter type product so i don't know if you ever had apple butter before but most of the time like it's like dark brown sometimes they add spices and things um i know our dad used to always have apple butter in the fridge and i like never wanted to try it because you'd look at it and it was like this dark brown stuff and like our parents used to eat um what was it called liverwurst Liverwurst. yeah you knew exactly what it's going (laughs) which was like spreadable meat and i still to this day i'm like no thank you can't eat spreadable meat never want to but then after seeing liverwurst i was like i cannot do apple butter like it just looks like spreadable brown stuff and then one day i decided to try it actually guys it's really good it's like really caramelized like apple flavor and it's like got a really good like cinnamony type back note oh it's actually good and I waited all this time because of dang liverwurst yeah I used to eat it all the time I used to have peanut butter and apple or wait yeah peanut butter and apple butter sandwiches I was a very picky child but apparently apple butter made the cut yeah I was always into applesauce but this is like dark brown yeah, yeah, and it's kind of gloopy, but it tastes really good. It's kind of like, and actually, now that we're heading into the fall time, um, it's kind of one of those fall flavors, you know, apple and uh, cinnamon, and it doesn't have any pumpkin in it, but. but they do have pumpkin butter, so oh. there you go. Yeah, it's cooked in the same way as apple butter, um, just cooked for a really long time until it's like really thick. 
And then you can spread it on toast just like you would an apple butter. It's really good. Um, I have had pumpkin butter. Mom got it for me from uh, Stonewall no, or Stonewall whatever Kitchens. the heck. Stonewall Kitchens. I love their stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. That's cool. Um, but I also found out, and so we talked about all the definitions of like what each of these are, which to this day in some way or another like a preserve and a jam are kind of still considered the same thing but knowing that canned fruit have specific regulations from a paper i wrote in college nice. um i looked up the cfr to see if there were specific um definitions for fruit and again if you didn't listen to our yogurt f uh, episode the cfr is the code of federal regulations um, thank you. And that's where you can find any type of uh, food that has a quote standard of identity, which means like if they put it on the shelf and call it something that it has certain regulations that make it that thing. So for jams and jellies, so they classify jams and preserves kind of in the same place. And then jellies are their own thing and butters are their own thing. So if you want to look it up, it's... um. Under what, uh, 150 in the CFR, but essentially what it says is that um, it's basically a fruit that's concentrated with or without heat. So that can be your fruit juice or your fruit component. Um, and it specifies that for jams and jellies and preserves, they have to have at least 45 parts of fruit to 55 parts of sugar. And you can't have less than 45 parts because otherwise you're kind of using like the cheaper ingredient, right? Because sugar is your cheaper ingredient. So if you have more than that, then you're technically not a preserve or a jam or a jelly. So just keep in mind when you're buying that off the shelf, it has a at least 45 to 55 for the ratio. So that's really interesting. Um, I always uh, look at the mass variety of containers in the jellies and jam section at the grocery store and the little like voice in the back of my head is always saying like try and find the one that has the least amount of sugar and something that you taught me like a really long time ago was that when you look at an ingredients list in the nutritional facts of any kind of like processed food it always says like part like the highest portion of whatever the food is is always listed first right they go mm -hmm. in like decreasing order so I always look for the, um, the, the fruit, right, of whatever type of jelly or jam I'm looking for to be listed first. But combining that knowledge with what you just said about, you know, nothing can really be um, 45 to 55 or like other than that 45 to 55 ratio. Does that, not, does that kind of mean that maybe all the jams and jellies have kind of the same amount of sugar, no matter if it's a jam, a jelly, or a preserve? Yeah, good question. I think I understand what you're getting at here. So 45 is the minimum amount of fruit you can have. You can have more than 45%, but then, it, or 45 parts. So if I did 46 to 54, then those jams, like if you go onto the shelf and you see your fruit listed before your sugar, it's probably because they probably flipped it. They're probably doing a little bit more fruit than they are uh, sugar addition. Um, but that brings the most flavor, right? But a lot of times with the uh, companies that make a lot of these fruits and jams and jellies and things, um, 
they're going to want to add the least expensive ingredient the most that they can with creating the same amount of flavor. So that's why there is this regulation, right? Because otherwise they could just sprinkle in a little bit of fruit and then say, here you go. Here's a jar of sugar with some fruit right. in it. <laughs> yeah. With it, with a touch of fruit. Yeah. No, fruit it's... kiss. <laughs> fruit kiss. Uh, sugar syrup. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, but again, so going back to the CFR, you have your your ratio that you have to maintain. Um, you have to have at least 45 parts of fruit to 55 parts of sugar. Um, again, you can have more fruit, which is totally fine, but you just have to have at least 45 parts. Um, there are some fruits, actually, that require at least 47 parts to 55, which I found out. And they actually list out in... Um, a section for either jams or jellies. Um, I'm pretty sure it's jams, but they have two different groups of ingredients. So two different types of fruits where you can see um, the amounts for like blackberries and apple and apricot are different mm-hmm. than other types of fruit, which is really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, so then it's good to look, if I'm concerned about eating less sugar in my jelly, right? I want jelly, but I don't want a jar of sugar with a little bit of fruit. Mm -hmm. It's good to still look at that ingredient list and make sure that the first thing listed is the fruit and not the sugar. Yep, absolutely. Because again, like Emily mentioned, you always list in your ingredient listing. So that's under that nutritional panel. There's always a listing of what's in the product, right? Um, And if you look at that, if you read it from first to last, um, your first ingredient is going to have the most um, in the product. And then your last ingredient, unless it's natural flavors, anything less than 1%, they kind of can list in whatever order they want. But everything else is in descending order. So it's like I have 25% oranges and 10% uh, grapefruit, but then I have 30% lemon, then it's going to say lemon orange grapefruit on my label. Okay. So one thing that I always have a hard time looking for that kind of like fruit first list in is marmalades, like orange marmalade specifically. Please don't at me. Like, don't hate me. I like it. Okay. Everybody likes their own thing. I know it's kind of weird, but I like orange marmalade. So, and it's hard to find something that doesn't have sugar listed first. So is that part of marmalades or like how, how are marmalades defined? Yeah. So marmalades are actually, um, they're kind of like a a jam in a, in a way, but what they use more is the actual liquid juice. So that's probably why. So it's a lot of times they have the juice, but then they also have the peel. So that's the difference there is like a lot of times when you look at your preserves and things like that, they won't actually have lemon peel in them or anything, you know, firm other than maybe the outside of the berry or the raspberry or something like that. But none of these like firmer fruits. So the difference is that it has that actual like peel included in the marmalade and it probably has a little bit more um, sugar um, or I'm sorry, more juice maybe. Um, I didn't do a ton of research on marmalade, but I do know that they always have the actual like peel of the citrus fruit and they're typically like 
uh, related to that citrus fruit. But don't hate on orange marmalade because I also enjoy it. And if you put <laughs> it in with other stuff, like, oh, it, it adds a like pop of flavor. I mean, mm-hmm. just like people zest oranges into stuff, this actually brings the sugar along with it. So like there's an enhancing flavor effect. Like, guys, you should try it sometime. Don't yeah. knock it before you try it. That's yeah. Adding um, acid or any kind of like citrus fruit to dishes, like when I'm cooking just by myself and attempting like something new, um, has really kind of upped my cooking game. Uh, so h- highly recommended uh, if you want to check that out. If you're making something and you're like, eh, it's still kind of bland. I added salt. It's you know salty enough. It's uh, something else. Like try squeezing a lemon on it. Yeah, um, a lot of times uh, chefs will call that an add of at or an addition of brightness. Oh, fancy! I know. I was like, ooh. Okay, so back to our topic for today. Yes, sorry. No, you're fine. Okay, so when you make a jam or or a jelly or basically a marmalade or anything like that, you have a couple of key ingredients, Emily. What do you think the key ingredients for a jam or a jelly may be? Well, I guess let's say jam or preserve. Okay. I'm not going to look because you already wrote them down, but I'm not going to cheat. Obviously, the fruit. The fruit has to be part of it. Uh, I'm going to say sugar because we just talked about that. And then I'm going to use a fancy word and say stabilizer, which is probably going to shoot me down out of the sky. But is pectin a stabilizer? and that that's all i got that's all i got okay um so great <laughs> all of those things that get at least included i got at least a C. um no i'd give you like a, a b plus mm. um one thing you did miss is the brightness so well well <laughs> um I'll, I'll give you a pass on that so uh the Key ingredients for making a preserve are actually just the fruit, sugar, and acid. Um, But there are some low pectin fruits, which, of course, uh, Emily was right. So a lot of the grocery store fruit uh, preserves and jams and things that you'll buy off the shelf will include pectin as a line item in their ingredient listing. Uh, that's because it is the stabilizer. So, man, ding, ding, ding. Ding, you ding. I learned some good stuff. points across the board. But, yeah, you only really need fruit, which um, your fruit can be fresh, frozen, or even canned. Um, and then, of course, for jellies, you just use the fruit juice. Um, but you can use the fruit and then strain it out later. But that just adds a complication. I'd just rather just use the juice. But then you obviously need sugar, um, unless you're making a fruit spread where you can just concentrate it without. But you also need acid. So the sugar works really well because the sugar works with the acid to and the pectin that a lot of times will come in with the fruit. Um, and it creates, it helps like the pectin create the gel that you see in some of these like clarified gel type products. Um, and then of course the acid not only works with the pectin and the sugar, but it also helps to be a preservative. So it brings down your pH in your finished product so that uh, microbes are less likely to grow in it over time, which we definitely don't want if we're storing it at room temperature. Um, I like to use lemon as my acid. I have had people tell me that they've used vinegar in the past 
to each their own. But like to me, I just think vinegar in my jam, meh, maybe not so much. But the stores, just like you see here where it's like 45 to 55, mine is a lot more fruit to to sugar. It's not half and half. Most of the time I have a lot more like weight of fruit than I do sugar. And I wonder if that's just bringing more flavor. But also I will hand pick my fruit. So it's at like peak ripeness, whereas the like jelly producers, I don't know if they always use the most ripe or the most flavorful fruit. They just want to make the same fruit over and over and over again. So back to other optional ingredients, you can actually add per the CFR, it lists all of the potential ingredients that you can have in your jam or jelly, but like not, um, you don't have to change the name of it, right? So you can add a uh, spice. So sometimes people have apple cinnamon jelly or a mint jelly, which ew, no thank you, but you know, whatever. Um, you can add preservatives. So this could be anything from like an ascorbic acid to a potassium sorbate. Just honestly, it doesn't matter. Now, most of the time with these though, the sugar content is so high and the acid content is so low that you don't necessarily need that as long as you do the right steps for preserving your product, which we can talk about a little bit later. And then you have your pectin, which Emily mentioned before, which you definitely need for your jellies. Um, but you don't always need it for the jams that contain those high pectin type fruit that we talked about before. And there's always a difference. You can have high and low pectin type fruits and you can always feel free to look those up online. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about those in just a little bit. It sounds very experimenty. Like there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of room to like create when you're making jams and jellies. Yeah. And actually, um, I was looking up that you can use up to five different types of fruit and fruit juices when you make a jam or a jelly and still call it a mixed berry or a mixed fruit jam or preserve or whatever, which I was like, that's kind of cool. And so mix can be anywhere from like, I believe, three to four or five. And they just call it mixed fruit spread on the label. I have a wine delivery, guys. <laughs> Celebrity. Hi, Joe. Okay. Um, so that being said, uh, you wanted to learn a little bit more about pectin. Did you have any specific questions? Why, yes, I did. What is pectin? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, so pectin is actually a polysaccharide, which we talked about before, which is basically a ton of sugar molecules kind of all bind, bound together to make like one huge molecule, right? And, um, it forms gel in the presence of sugar and acid. And then there's, um, another type of pectin that also can form gels in, uh, the presence of calcium. So those are, um, HM pectin and LM pectin, which is, um, it's like high methoxyl and low methoxyl. Um, and so pectin essentially comes from the cell walls of the plants. So as you can imagine, it's really high in fruits like green apples and your, your less ripe fruits will actually have more pectin in them than your more ripe fruits. So you can imagine like green apples, you'll have more pectin in there than you will um, the red or ripened apples. So just keep that in mind if you ever decide to make pectin at home. Uh, you also have carrots, 
which are not a fruit, but they do have a high amount of pectin. And then you also have citrus. Um, and citrus, when I say that, it's actually in the peel. And specifically, a lot of it resides in that nasty white part that nobody ever wants to eat. Ah, the pith. Yes, exactly. You got it. Uh, so that's really where the pectin is. And you can actually make pectin at home. Um, which a lot of times when people make homemade preserves, they'll actually opt to make their own pectin at home using either citrus peel or green apples. So if you're interested, um, citrus peel in the food industry is technically extracted from the peels, like I mentioned, and then it's precipitated out using alcohol. You can try this at home by using oranges and keeping as much of that white part as possible. You dice them up, you put them in some hot water, you boil them with some lemon juice. Now, the lemon juice is important because that helps the pectin solubilize. Um, And then you boil for 10 to 20 minutes, uh, strain it through a cheesecloth, and then you can either concentrate it further or you can check how much pectin you have in there by pouring in um, with one tablespoon to one tablespoon of alcohol and your pectin mixture and see if you get some solidification. It's kind of like an industry. It's much more complicated than that, but you can do it at home. When I'm done with this process, am I expecting like a powder or like a paste? No. Um. So it's like a thick liquid. Okay. Um. And you can boil it down a little bit more to make it even thicker. Mm-hmm. Um, or in industry, what they do is they'll precipitate it out using the alcohol. So if you want to do that test where you um, put the alcohol in with your boiled mixture, you'll be able to see how thick your product gets. Um, but I would say most of the time in jams and jelly making at home, people will use it still in the semi- solubilized form and it'll get thicker as it gets more to room temperature as you would imagine like jello kind of thickens up in the fridge okay that will happen here too but you can use it at like a quarter cup of homemade pectin to one cup of fruit um and i've never actually tried this guys but it is on my list of things to try i usually if i'm making something like a low pectin type fruit preserve like cherry jam because we used to pick our own tart cherries from wisconsin um yeah exactly oh but tart cherries are the best um i will actually use pectin because otherwise um when i tried to make it without it definitely turned into more of like a cherry butter where it was like dark brown before it actually got thick so uh just keep that in mind uh as you go through and make your uh, jams and jellies. Uh, and honestly, guys, it's a process. You got to try it a couple of times. The first time I made raspberry, it was like a very sticky, I would call it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely an experiment. I mean, even with, with cooking, cooking everything is always an experiment, unless you've made it a hundred times. Um, we are pro um, experiment and see what happens. So mm-hmm. if you do so, please shout us out on Facebook, Instagram, our, or our email, um, and we'll, you know, you could end up on the podcast. Yeah, and it's okay if it's a nailed it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've we, nailed it we before. promise we won't, we won't, like, be mad or, like, 
we won't be mean. We'll just, we'll prop you up because we've had all of our own failures. So even if it's a failure. Absolutely. Uh, I still remember that weird like lime when mom first let me start cooking. I made this weird like lime crab like dish where all three, me, you and mom were both all like, this is really gross. But we were like pushing it around the plate. And dad's like, I'll eat it. And mom was like, mom's usually pretty good about that. Like she'll, she'll prop you up and be like, it's fine. Like, it's fine. But I knew this was bad when she was just like, it's okay, honey. Like, we don't always get it right. And I was like, ooh, this was really bad. Oh, God, oh, poor, poor me. But it was like one of my first experiments. And it was one of those times where I was like sitting there over the stove and I was like sweating and I'm like, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> Let me just add this one thing. And the one thing I added was a big mistake. For some reason, I thought it would be good to add lime juice in with my like Parmesan cheese, which guys don't oh, ever God. do that. It was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, but um, what would you do yeah. today? What would you have done today? I don't know because I feel like the sauce was really good. I just was doing one of those things where you like make a painting and you're like, wow, it's good, but I don't want to be done painting yet. So let me add some more stuff to it. That's basically what I think happened because I think I made a really good like crab sauce or I don't even, I don't know if it was crab or shrimp and it was like really good. Then I was like, you know, I saw this chef on TV say you had to add like acid so let me go ahead and try this oh we don't have any lemon or white wine better add lime because that's a good idea (laughs) it's fine (laughs) they all taste the same (laughs) oh gosh but hey like i said me and emily we both have failed several times but it just makes us better and we just keep trying because you know what honestly making food at home is kind of fun i gotta say it's one of my favorite things yeah for sure um, but back to jams and jellies. Um, if if people took shots for how many times we would say that in an episode, back to whatever we're talking about. I know, I know. So it's circling back. Anyway, <laughs> um, again, circling back. Uh, so you have, you know, made really successful jams and jellies, at least in my opinion, um, and in Joe's opinion, and in Mom's opinion. Anyway, you've made, you've done it. How how mm-hmm. does one make a successful jam or jelly? Um, you know, most of the time I just look up um recipes online. So some of my favorite are the ones where I actually will specifically look for recipes without the addition of pectin. So if you look um a lot of times store-bought versus homemade. Store-bought, they're looking really to make something very consistent all the time. So they'll add back water to get to the right bricks. And when I say bricks, that means the sugar content or solids content in their uh, mix. Um, whereas at home, I'm like, well, this is the fruit I have. I'm not going to add any extra water. I'm going to throw in the sugar and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The store-bought ones will have pectin because they're going to always want to have the same gel consistency. Mine, sometimes you get a little watery strawberry. Sometimes you get a thicker strawberry. It just really depends. So like this last batch of strawberry I made was a little more watery. But you have to imagine the fruit are also from Florida where there's a lot of water, guys, versus Wisconsin where the strawberries were really small, but they tasted like gushers. Mm. So it comes with the fruit. So you start with your fruit. You put it in the pot 
Um, I like to crush mine with a potato masher while I turn on the heat. Um, sometimes, uh, if it's a smaller fruit, I'll do it with the hand blender at the end, but then I mix in the sugar and the acid. So for me, like I said before, I like to use lemon. Sometimes at that point, I'll add some lemon zest because it just really depends. Blueberry. I like blueberry lemon jam. Um, and then you just mix it in and then you boil it. You have to get it to 220 to get your pectin where it needs to go so that it sets. So if you do add pectin, the time that you would do that is once your product is a little more hot, it's easier to dissolve your pectin at that point. I like to mix my pectin in with sugar, but when you look at your label for your pectin, a lot of times it will already be mixed with sugar. So you prevent any of that agglomeration or in the food industry, what we call fish eyes. And yes, it looks just like that fish eyes. Yeah. What happens is it forms a gel on the outside and then on the inside, there'll be like a little hard ball of like pectin or like brown stuff. So that's why it's called a fish eye. Cute. Cute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, but they've already done stuff to prevent that from happening when you're adding like your bagged pectin from the store. Um, but again, if you use the pectin front that you've made at home, um, that should dissolve pretty easily into your spread or whatever. So go ahead and try it. I mean, I want to try the homemade pectin too now at this point, but after that, um, after you boil it, uh, typically I get it to a little bit cooler than boiling and then I will can it. Can it. (laughs) Um, how do you can it? Great question. So when I first started making jam, I canned using the boiling method where you have this huge pot of boiling water and you have to keep it boiling for a really long time. Makes your house really hot and you have to use a lot of water, which I know a lot of places around the U.S. now are like dying for water. So I found a better method. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I use a I use the steam function in my instant pot. Uh, they also have this thing now called a steam canner, which is basically the same thing where you use a couple of inches of water to actually like steam your um, steam your, I guess, jams or jellies. And um, how it works is it gets really hot, very similar to the temperature of boiling water, um, only they're not all wet the whole time. <laughs> because of, as you can imagine, steam has to be the temperature of boiling water to become steam. Um, and I will put it in there and I process it. And the processing time depends on the altitude that you're at, but also the size of your jar. So if you ever question which size or how long to process your jars for, the best thing to do is to always check um, on uh, either online or check your altitude uh, to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And then me, Being a food scientist, I always add on five minutes. Now, yes, that can add additional processing time for your canning. Do I need to add five minutes? Probably not. But the actual additional five minutes doesn't really hurt the flavor of your food too much. And it saves you a lot of, I would say for me, it saves me a lot of anxiety. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, why though? Like, like why? Um, so, you... uh, time and temperature is a big thing. So, what happens when you have microbes in your food? Um, the longer you hold it at a specific time, the more the logarithmic kill off will be. So that's like, ooh, fancy. The, yeah. So. Um, the the microbes will die at a certain temperature and the longer you hold it the more they'll the more that will be killed off essentially so um we can talk about that again on a, like a whole another episode if you guys are interested i can talk to you all day about um microbes but for this it's more so you need to have the proper time and temperature to kill off any per- um, bacteria that may grow. That's why it's important that if you are at one of these higher altitude regions, you make sure you take into account the additional time it may take to get to your boiling temperature because you have less air pressure up there, guys. So it's going to take a little bit more time to get where you need to for sterilization because you're at a lower temperature. So therefore, you won't be killing off at the same rate as somebody who's at a higher temperature. Okay, so when I'm making jam, what I do is I made the jam sitting there. It's bubbling on the stove. Um, While it's bubbling on the stove, what I'll do is I'll sterilize my jars. Um, You can sterilize your jars using a boiling pot of water. A lot of times what people will do is stick their cold jars in the boiling pot of water, boil them for 10 minutes. Um, And that should be good enough to sterilize them. I use this steam function on my Instant Pot, and I do it for about 15 minutes. Um, And that works really well for me. Uh, I haven't had an issue yet. Um, And then what I do is I am very cautious. So I put... um, I clean all my counters before I make anything with my... uh, For jam. And then I put down paper towels and then I will take my jars out, my sterilized jars, and then I'll fill it up with the jam. Um, and then I'll put just uh, the top of the jar that I'm going to be canning. So you know how mason jars have those two-part tops? So I'll put the top on and make sure that they're, the top fits well and the top of the jar is clean. So sometimes, you know, you can have like the drip over or anything like that. Um, To prevent that, what I do is I will have a sterilized with boiling water paper towel, and I'll just like wipe around the top if there's anything extra. And then you leave a a little bit of airspace in there because as you're cooking, uh, the air will expand. um, And so you want to make sure that there's enough so it doesn't boil over. Uh, And then you lightly screw on the actual screw top piece of the mason jar. Then you take those jars with the lightly screwed on top and you put them in the boiling pot of water or you put them in the steam function of your instant pot. Um, I will do it for anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes because again, food science, I'm like a little bit extra time and doesn't hurt the flavor, but um, if you're doing it in a boiling pot of water, you want to make sure you cover those jars with water um, because you want the whole jar to be sterilized in this process. If you're using the steam function, the whole um, the whole jar will be within that steam area, so you should be okay. Um, and I do that for anywhere from. 10 to 15 minutes. Again, make sure you check the size of your jars and the size of your, um, or 
the altitude before deciding on your time because different um, sizes of jars will take more time or less time depending. So again, make sure you check that before you do any of the canning. I use anywhere from quart size to probably like half cup mason jars. So the 15 to 20 minutes is perfectly fine. Um, and then from there, I will take them out once they're done and place them overnight on the counter. Um, so a lot of times <laughs> my favorite part after canning is when you leave them on the counter to cool and they start to go. Yeah. And that's when they're, the tops are kind of vacuum sealing to, uh, the jars. And that's how you kind of make sure that your product is nice and sealed. And that's when I know I can ship it to you. Cool. And I think, uh, so, and the reason why I haven't started canning anything is because I'm so scared because you scared me. something about botulism and, and the mm-hmm. plague has something to do mm-hmm. with canning. Can you tell our listeners about that and remind oh. me? Yeah. So you can get botulism in your cans. Um, If you've ever gone to the grocery store and seen a bloated can, you'll know because it's kind of like busting at the seams. Um, That's botulism. People have had very severe um, foods, borne illness from cans that have not been processed effectively. And the same thing with me. And that's why I process mine for five extra minutes, because if I'm going to give it away to my family, I want to make sure that they're safe. So, um, so there are specific temperatures and times, as I mentioned earlier, that you need to process your food to make them food safe and stable. You also need acid and you need sugar to make sure things don't grow. Um, Unfortunately, do not use your Instant Pot for pressure canning, but uh, jams and preserves are typically high acid, so you should be fine. Um, And those high sugar contents, you should be fine canning um, either in your Instant Pot or using the boiling method. Um, But you need these times and temperatures to make sure that you decrease the bacterial load and then you won't have that additional growth in your uh, finished ready-to-eat product that's been stored at room temperature. So, yeah, those bloated cans. I just remember when my my food science professor was like, it's like an exploded can. And then anytime I go to the grocery store and I see something where I can't like press it down, I'm like, no, probably shouldn't eat it. So if you ever get something homemade by anybody and the top, you can't, the top is not like vacuumed to the bottom, probably try not to eat it because you don't know in those glass jars, whether there's been any bloating or contamination from something like botulism or something like that. Cool. So top three takeaways from canning, I think would be make sure to sterilize your jars because that's something that avoids the botulism, which is the plague or something like that. Um, it's not the plague, but yeah, <laughs> I would say botulism is like Botox, you know, like, but basically your body just stops functioning instead of just your wrinkles. Yeah. Don't, don't eat it just because absolutely do not eat it just because you're like, well, it's cheaper than going to the doctor. That is not the same thing. No, it is not. Don't do not do it. Your whole, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I would say the second takeaway is probably 
um, that you can use your Instant Pot to steam sterilize, right? Uh, we love our Instant Pots here. Mm-hmm. But probably not to finish the process and can them, correct? Um, I use the steam function, but I add an additional five to 10 minutes because I want to make sure that my cans are done. Um, I have seen people use the exact same processing time because you have to remember that the steam should have the same amount. But for me, I'm like, is my whole instant pot steamed at that point? So that's why I add the additional five to 10 minutes on mine. Um, if you are canning in hotter jams and jellies, remember they're going to be a little bit hotter. So you can also take that into account. But for me, I mean, an extra five minutes, 10 minutes, guys, if it's going to save your life, just do it. Yeah. And I think the third one is probably, um, there are a bunch of articles online. If you still have questions, um, check online or you can always email our expert, Christina, at um, are they drunk in there at gmail.com. We watch that email address. So we want to thank anybody who's already emailed us so far. Um, but yeah, if you have any further questions, our expert is a- awaiting your email. Oh, absolutely. Love to take it. Love to talk jams and jellies. And if you guys have any good recipes, I'd love to try them. But um, just wanted to talk through a couple of tips that I found. Because I'm sure some of our listeners actually have made jams and jellies in the past. Yeah, and they're sitting here like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh. They're like, yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you for this. <laughs> but guys, like, this is kind of a lost art. I feel like people don't take advantage of this anymore. I don't know, unless you live in Wisconsin. But um, make smaller batches. Uh, I cannot tell you how long I sat with that cherry jam slash whatever cherry butter it wound up being at the end. Just trying to boil up enough water to make it thick. Like, if you make a smaller batch, it won't take you as long. You can get it right the first time. You're not wasting time. You're not wasting, like five pounds of fruit so and also it will help you from over processing your pectin if you do add pectin so like I said for me I like to add pectin to my cherry batches and I think Joe would probably be so mad if I made him make a big vat of cherry jam because you have to take all the pits out and Joe is my pit artist (laughs) here We did go from like a one cherry pitter to like a six cherry pitter and that did save us a lot of time. But if you're in the region where you have to make cherry jam, guys, like get a six cherry pitter so that your husband isn't like, why am I doing this with my life? Yeah. And also check out one of our episodes for the rest of the season. We will be doing one on kitchen gadgets. So just FYI. Can't wait. Um, And then I would say... Uh, My favorite thing that I do is I read off of an article way back in the day when I first started jam making. Um, You place a plate in the freezer um, to test the doneness of your jam. So what you'll do is once you think it's almost there, you can take a spoonful of your jam, not a huge one, but enough to get an idea and put it on this like frozen plate. Put that back in the fridge for like five minutes and then you can kind of move it around and if it wrinkles then your jam's probably going to solidify I don't know I've had a lot of cases where my jams don't get as solid as I like again I don't really like to use pectin from the store because I prefer to make mine all fruit 
Um, now I might use homemade pectin, but I haven't tried it. But um, this is a really good way that I found uh, to test my raspberry jam. And now I feel like I have a foolproof method for making my jam. I use the freezer plate method all the time. The only thing I worry about is making it in Wisconsin, or I'm sorry, in Florida, where it's super humid. So if I take the plate out, is it going to be wet and then affect the way that my jam kind of gets on there? I don't know. We'll see. Um, remember if you have a low sugar jelly or jam, um, you definitely need pectin and probably more, more, um, pectin than you are typically used to. Um, for the, these types of jams, they may use LM pectin, which is the low methoxyl pectin. Those pectins need calcium. So if you ever see something where they add calcium to a low sugar jam or jelly, uh, that's because the actual gelation takes place with calcium um, as opposed to these HM pectins, which are usually used at the high sugar, high acid pectin. So if you're looking at those jams and jellies that are low sugar in the store, that's why sometimes you'll see the addition of calcium in those. So uh, good to note um, different type of pectin. And that's how you get the gel with that one. Make sure that you reach a 220 degrees Fahrenheit to make sure you get a good set for your pectin. Otherwise, um, it won't be, uh, as good at bonding. So there will be some places where you'll get a good gel, but sometimes it'll have a lumpier texture. So you probably don't want that. Um, also, lumpiness can occur if you don't mix your pectin in well enough. So <laughs> make sure you do a good amount of mixing if you're going to add that pectin. And then my favorite one is, um, which I've definitely seen before on the tops of my um, homemade je- jams and jelly, is it gets sweaty or weepy. I don't know that I'd like to call sweaty my food sweaty. but Is weepy get- any better? I don't know. Like, it's crying a little bit. But... Um, <laughs> The this in in the food industry, this is called like cineresis, where you start to see the seeping out of the liquid in your gel. Um, and this occurs either if you do a freeze, because there's also ways where you can make frozen like freezer jam, which is cool because then you don't have to go through the whole canning process. But it's also not cool because you have to defrost it every time you want to use it. Uh, (laughs) But this will happen a lot with that because you're creating ice crystals or you potentially added too much acid to your jam and jelly. And that affects the way that the pectin creates a gel. And remember, you don't always have to add pectin to your um, to your jam. You can also get it from the fruit that's coming in. So. All right, but circling back, I know, Emily, your favorite recipe is my raspberry jam. Yeah. But anything <laughs> anything else? I was always a hardcore strawberry smuckers fan. Um, I tried the, the like fancy ones that came in the last couple years onto the grocery shelf that are like the bone something. I want to say bon nuit, bon but that's... May. Okay, bon yeah. May or whatever. Yeah, something like that, um, which are also good, but I'm hardcore strawberry smuckers fan how about you i 
I like my own jam, but I got to tell you, like, I, besides mine, I am a big apricot jam fan. Mm. I didn't used to like it because I was like, ew, apricots. Like, mom always had apricot jam in the fridge, and I was like, ugh, apricot sounds like an old person fruit. But <laughs> I guess I'm an old person now because I'm like, there you go. yay. Oh, my gosh. I think when I was in high school, I finally decided to try it because I think we had run out of strawberry jam or mm. grape jelly or whatever. Um, and I was like, I guess I'll try this. Like, I don't want orange and peanut butter. So I guess I'll try apricot and peanut butter. And ever since then, I've been like, oh, it's so good. And I especially like when you get those big, like thick slices of apricot. But I do have to say I've also transitioned into like the dried apricots with my cheese plates. And I'm like, that is great. They're so So good. I think it's just the apricot piece where I'm like, oh, I love it. But yeah. Um, and I've always been a more more jelly than peanut butter person. I know you're the opposite, but I just have always been more jelly than peanut butter. Okay. Yeah. I, the one tip that I have um, for our listeners is if you're a big coconut shrimp fan and you also get mad when you buy frozen coconut shrimp at the store and it doesn't come with the like tangy sweet sauce, you can make your own using orange marmalade. That's what I did. Mm. Um, I actually bought uh, a Sicilian orange marmalade the last time I was in the store. So I had to add a little bit of sugar to it. But if you add just like a splash of water and kind of cook that down, it's almost the same kind of flavoring as the like restaurant style coconut shrimp sauce that you get. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely a, a big fan of, of doing that. If I, you know, go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, they have coconut shrimp, but they don't have like the sauce that comes with it. Like if you order it at a restaurant. So that's something that I would say is one of my favorites. That's a good point. I like didn't think about that for this episode, but a lot of times I do use jams and jellies, especially cherry uh, when I make pork or if I make chicken, I'll use like a, a orange or an apricot to make chicken. Um, you can always use them in combination with the savory recipe to get like a sweet and sour or as Emily said, like a tanginess to your um to your recipe that I don't think you would have gotten if you didn't add it. So um, if you're ever looking for like a cherry recipe to go with pork or um, an apricot chicken, I feel like there's a lot of recipes like that out there. I think mom used to make these really good like lettuce wraps that had either apricot or orange jam in the actual like sauce. Mm. Um, I made them for Joe before where it's like chicken and lettuce and like a vegetables and you like put them all in like a butter lettuce wrap and there was definitely I believe orange marmalade in that and that was really good so there's recipes to use jams and jellies in and they definitely add a good pop of flavor um with some fruit sugar and then some added sugar but it's really good guys and really fun thing to try if you ever have any fruit that you decided to go pick in Wisconsin <laughs> Or wherever. I mean, you could pick fruit surprisingly across the U.S. Um, Yeah, I feel like people don't take enough advantage of that. Like, I didn't even know that we actually had a bunch of places to go pick fruit in Florida until mom was like, let's go around the corner. I'm like, there's fruit in Florida (laughs) other than oranges. But yes, there are. 
But yeah, uh, any anything else for today? Not for me. Okay, great. So thanks everybody for listening in today. We really appreciate the support. If you can uh, like on Instagram or Facebook, that is extra that we absolutely love. Um, send us an email if you have any questions or have an idea for an episode you'd love um, for us to talk about. Uh, we also have our email at aretheydrunkinair at gmail.com that we watch on the daily, on the weekly. So uh, thank you so much. And as always, have a drink on us. But not on us. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.